Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. What's going on, y'all? It's JD Pacquiao with On Three. Welcome into the Hard Count. It is, in fact, the People Show. So everything you know, everything you love about college football, it happens here on a daily basis. Nick Brake does the heavy lifting. You can help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I am the epitome of Fired Up. We are 10 days away from college football happening. Talk about week zero. The comparison I make about week zero is week zero is a lot like tap water. For some people, they're just so glad it's there because they haven't had it in a long time. And they're just thirsty for college football. So they grab it and they chug it as fast as they can. And that's great. For others of us, we drink tap water year-round, and so we are, of course, very grateful to have a large serving of that tap water, a more fresh serving, I should say, in the form of Week Zero. But we've, we've been drinking the tap water over here, folks. If you've been with us here at the Hard Count, we've been going for a few months now, and college football has been going year-round, and we're going to make, make sure we keep covering it for you year-round. But all that's to say, we're jacked up. I know you're jacked up. We got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little bit about the heater, as the kids would call it, that LSU and Florida are both on in the recruiting trail. Uh, we're going to talk about Notre Dame. We got a win total for them in Vegas, eight and a half. Are they over that? Are they under that? We're going to talk about it and give you our thoughts. Also, Alabama, for those of you that have been paying attention, 
have made some moves in the transfer portal, and those guys are now on campus and they're developing. And so we're going to give you our fall camp intel as far as it goes for those individuals in Tuscaloosa. Before that, though, we got to talk about the fall camp intel as it pertains to the quarterback races going on all around the country. We're just going to go down the line here. A lot of teams, a lot of teams that have a Tiger mascot that are going through uh, some quarterback adjustments, races, derbies, whatever you want to call it. Someone's got to play the first snap for all these ball clubs. And we're going to talk about the latest in those uh, races as it pertains to those different universities. So starting off at LSU, huge news out of Baton Rouge this week as Miles Brennan, who yours truly thought had a really good shot to take the first snap in game one, just based on his experience and what he's brought to the table and just his loyalty to LSU. Ultimately, not going to be the guy. Coaching staff told him, he said, thank you so much. I think I've done all I need to do here. Ends up walking away from football. Now, this is not a Miles Brennan segment, but I will just say this. I hope he's remembered very fondly in Baton Rouge because of his loyalty to this program, uh, was recruited by a completely different coaching staff, was there under multiple coaching staffs. So I tip my hat to Miles Brennan. I hope the LSU faithful do as well. Now, as it pertains to this quarterback race right now, you got Garrett Nussmeyer and you got Jaden Daniels, both going head to head, mano y mano, just duking it out now. It is a two horse race. Jaden Daniels, obviously the ASU transfer. Garrett Nussmeyer, a guy that you were really excited about, played his way into this race in the spring, has just done a lot of things right. Now, the chatter is, at the time of this recording, the chatter is that Jaden Daniels is going to get the nod. Again, that's not confirmed. That's not set in stone. But it's leaning like it's going to be Jaden Daniels. Some of the rumors are they just like what he does with his feet and the whole new element he adds to that offense, something that Mike Denenbrock is familiar with and what he's done in previous offenses. So we'll see what happens there. Again, leaning Jaden Daniels. My stance on this remains the same. I think you will see both of these guys play. I also happen to believe that Garrett Nussmeyer gives you the highest ceiling as an offense. So we'll see how that plays out. Leaning Jaden Daniels. Would be very surprised if we don't see both these guys take a snap at some point for LSU. Keeping in our theme with teams that are uh, having a Tiger as their mascot, we're going to Auburn. And last time we talked about this quarterback race down there in Auburn, Alabama, we were talking about, hey, Zach Calzada, it feels like, it's not necessarily set in stone, but it feels like it's his job to lose. They're kind of putting in things for him that are similar to Uh, schemes he ran at Texas A&M, so he's going to be comfortable, he's going to be the guy, right? And he just has to take it and run with it, right? Well, the report is that TJ Finley, who took some snaps and took some plays for them last year, started a few games for them, sounds like he's looked the best so far. So TJ Finley looked the best in the scrimmage, uh, has taken coaching really well. Brian Harson was saying how he loves the way that he's kind of a coach on the field and commands the offense, which is one of the main things he's looking for in a quarterback. So it's, again, it's far from over. I do think, again, you'll probably see him and Zach Calzada both play. Robbie Ashford, the Oregon transfer, is a tremendous athlete. He's going to be on the field in one way or another. Doesn't sound like it'll be at the starting quarterback spot, but they'll have read option game for him. They'll have some quarterback design run for him. Too good of an athlete to leave off the field. But coming as a surprise to a lot of people, TJ Finley seems to have the ever so slight edge as it stands right now in fall camp. Now, Zach Calzada could still be getting his legs under him. Didn't really get a spring with his injury. So again, we'll see what happens. TJ Finley is the ever so slight leader in the clubhouse out of the time of this recording. Clemson, 
has their own quarterback. I don't even want to say quarterback race. We'll say quarterback storyline because Davo Sweeney made it extremely clear at ACC Media Day that DJ Uwe Ungalale is our quarterback and went to bat for him in the most public way possible, said y'all have been disrespecting him, y'all been acting like he's, and I won't use his verbiage, but basically saying you guys have been saying he is not a solid player. And he came out and said, this guy's a freak. So if I'm DJ Uwe Ungalale, I'm feeling real good about my coach coming out and being so aggressive in his defense of me, even before these people start you know, asking questions. I mean, they kind of asked some loaded questions, but to have your head coach go to bat for you publicly means all the good things in the world for DJ. So that tells us that. But Brandon Streeter had an interesting quote this week from camp, and he said, pay attention to this, this very first part of the sentence. He said, right now, DJ is our starting quarterback. He's been solid this whole camp. Again, that's offensive coordinator Brandon Streeter. So, the only thing that I sort of raise my eyebrow at is you said right now DJ is our quarterback. Why even include that? Why not just say DJ is our quarterback? He's looked great. To say right now implies that he may not be at another point in time. So don't read into this too much, but I think it's worth noting that Brandon Streeter is sort of implying that, hey, we're still going to play the best guy. And we talked to Matt Conley from Clemson Sports, the on three site for Clemson. Go check that out if you haven't. Talked to him, and he was saying, DJ's the guy, don't get it twisted, but his leash is going to be shorter than it was a year ago. Because last year, DJ Uyungle very publicly struggled through 10 interceptions, nine touchdowns. Not great numbers. Not going to get it done if he plays like that this coming season. Expect there to be somebody else playing quarterback. But he said last year, DJ struggled, but there wasn't anybody else really to turn to. I mean, you go to your next guy on that roster, and they're not even able to do what DJ was doing. So he was the best guy in your locker room. If he struggles this year, we have other options. Whether it be Hunter Johnson, who is the third-string quarterback as of right now, but was at Clemson, transferred to Northwestern, comes back to Clemson, and Cade Klubnick who is a five-star quarterback out of Austin-Westlake and has been progressing very well by all reports. I mean, he's putting on weight. He is getting adjusted to the speed of the game. It's still DJ Wingle's job, but they have some other people in the wings should things go south. And Clemson needs to have that quarterback position at least solid. Doesn't have to be a superstar. Doesn't have to be throwing 30 touchdowns and three interceptions. But you need to be solid because this team has so many pieces around him, especially on defense. This team is so good to where if the quarterback's what holds them back from their potential, I think you got to make a change. So as the quarterback, just don't be the bottleneck, I think is what we're trying to say here. But in terms of the update with the quarterback race, DJ Oenlele's job, Kate Klubnick is progressing. The best man will ultimately play the duration of the season. Okay, But starter for game one is DJ Oenlele. Moving on to Michigan, sort of a similar situation in some respects. Uh, Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy are going toe-to-toe. And Jim Harbaugh has been anything but transparent when it comes to this quarterback race. He said at Big Ten Media Day, Okay, McNamara is going to be really hard to beat out. Everybody grabs their pen, starts jotting that down, or starts typing away and tweeting, whatever. And then to the same token, the next sentence he says, J.J. McCarthy is going to be really hard to beat out. And so I think everybody kind of had a moment where they were like, what? (laughs) What is that Harbaugh for? 
what is the Google Translate for Harbaugh to English for that? But the feel we've gotten from our reporters at the Wolverine, which is our Michigan on three site, go check that out. They said, as of right now, Cade McNamara is likely going to take the first snap in game one. With that being said, they will both play. They're both going to play, okay? So you're going to see J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara, kind of similar to how you did a season ago. But ultimately, I think they want somebody to eventually take the reins fully. Now, J.J. McCarthy is a really good athlete and adds a whole new element to this offense with a running quarterback or a dual threat quarterback that you don't have with Cade McNamara. So maybe similar to Auburn, Robbie Ashford, you give J.J. McCarthy a couple of packages depending on how this year plays out. But all that's to say, Cade McNamara has the edge right now just because of his experience, uh, his credentials, his skins on the wall that he already has. Um, he's a guy that they feel like has done nothing to lose the job. And that's the tricky part about this, because when you talk about Michigan as a program, it sounds like the feeling is we have to do something different offensively than we did a year ago, just for the sheer fact that our defense won't be likely as good as they were a year ago. That's not to knock the Michigan defense. You just have less experience come back. You don't have the two NFL caliber edge rushers that are coming back. I mean, they're both gone to play at the next level. So do you have to score more points? And if you do have to score more points, do you have to have something more throwing the ball downfield? Because J.J. McCarthy, again, by most reports, is the more talented passer. More raw, more inexperienced, yes, but opens up the possibility of stretching the defense more vertically. So we're going to keep a pulse on that. Right now, it's Cade McNamara with J.J. McCarthy still to play. But this is Cade McNamara's team. Again, I don't know how you turn your back on the guy who got you a Big Ten title and got you over the hump. But I believe Jim Harbaugh has a little more stake in the game than I do. So we'll keep an eye on that. Now, here's a quarterback race that is probably most surprising to talk about right now. Like, if you were to talk about the Texas Longhorns, the phrase quarterback competition doesn't really come to mind, doesn't really fit as well if you were looking at the camp two weeks ago. But by most accounts, Hudson Card has looked really, really solid these last few weeks in Austin, or at least the past couple scrimmages. They like what they have right now with Hudson Card. They feel like he's right in the thick of it. Steve Sarkeesian described the competition right now as tight and healthy, saying essentially, yeah, it's close, but ultimately we're getting both of these guys better. He said he's talked to both of them individually about where they stand in the competition. He was also asked, has either of these guys done anything yet to outright win the job? Like, have they done enough to earn the job? And Steve Sarkeesian just said, I don't think so. So there's a couple ways to look at this. You could look at it and say, man, Queen Ewers hasn't taken the job by the throat. He hasn't come into Austin and be all that we thought he would be, man. That's a bummer. We didn't hit on Quinn Ewers like we thought we would. Or you can look at the other side of this and say, wow, Hudson Card, a guy who, let's call it what it was, ended up losing his starting job last year to Casey Thompson for poor play, is now going toe-to-toe with our five-star transfer quarterback. We said it before on this show. It wouldn't be the strangest thing ever if Hudson Card takes a jump to this year from 2021 to 2022 if he makes a big jump in progress and his, and his ultimate production and, and what he brings to the table if he just gets better over the offseason. That's what the offseason's for, folks. So I think what you have to do is just take a, 
a good look at what you have in your quarterback room and say, okay, great, we have two guys that are making it hard on this coaching staff. And competition is ultimately allowing the cream to eventually rise to the top, whoever it is. And with all, let's see, one, two, three, four, five of these situations, I feel the same way about all of them. Whoever gets named your starting quarterback, I promise you, your head coach has so much stake in the game that he is making the best decision for that football team. He feels like he's putting the best guy out there to win. And we, as the media or the fan bases, we only get to see snippets of this. Like We only get to see what TJ Finley did in his starts a year ago, but what he's doing behind closed doors in fall camp is making it hard on Brian Harson. What Hudson Card's doing behind closed doors in fall camp, he's making it hard on Steve Sarkeesian. So these head coaches, like I said, with their meal ticket, depending on who their quarterback is, they're not going to just play the big name. They're going to play who's going to ultimately give them, like I said, the best chance to be successful on the field. So quarterback battles all across the country. Got a lot of intel here for you that we're going to keep coming here on the hard count. But I'm excited. Those are some very big name programs, some brand name programs that ultimately will have their season determined by who plays quarterback for them. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Florida and LSU, two storied SEC programs, have been on heaters when it comes to the recruiting trail, have been white hot. And so I think we need to just take inventory of what both these programs have done, ultimately what this means for both these programs, because they're both under first-year head coaches. Florida gets Billy Napier, LSU gets Brian Kelly, and it's just remarkable how much of a tear they've both been on. And obviously, Billy Napier coming from the group of five and Brian Kelly coming from Notre Dame, they both felt like maybe they didn't have the firepower to recruit like they wanted to at their previous positions. But now they are bringing the juice to the recruiting game. And so we're just going to start with Florida. Billy Napier, as of the time of this recording, has Florida sitting at number 10 in terms of the national rankings for their recruiting class. And the thing that stands out the most to me about this is they've done a lot of it with in-state guys. 80%, 16 of their 20 commitments are from the state of Florida. That is a huge deal. He has a quote out. He said, start at your home base and work your way out. That's Billy Napier talking about how he wants to structure Florida's recruiting. Of the entire class that he has committed right now, the average distance from Gainesville is 165 miles. That is not far at all. I mean, he's going just down the road to get these kids. And so what that says to me is, okay, you're, you're putting a fence around your area in Florida. And then they're moving into other areas as well. I know they got a commitment from the Miami area. Um, Florida as a whole just has so much talent. And for Billy Napier to say, we got to start in the state of Florida is a very welcomed adjustment for this program. Because if you remember correctly, one of the biggest gripes that the Florida fan base had with Dan Mullen was they said he didn't take recruiting seriously. He would kind of recruit when it was time to recruit, when it was time to play games. He was focused on that, and that's good and all. But in the SEC, especially in the state of Florida, if you are not recruiting 24-7, you are behind the eight ball. And so for Billy Napier to make it a point to say, no, we're going to recruit early, we're going to recruit often, and we're going to recruit our immediate area effectively, that is a huge deal. Last year, they had the number 20 class 
as it stands right now, they have a top 10 class. I would assume they'll finish in the top 10 if, at the very worst, the top 15. They're going to be a better position program for the future because of how Billy Napier is approaching recruiting. Also worth mentioning, that mark I gave you, 165 miles from Gainesville is the average distance for uh, the class right now. That is the smallest uh, average distance from 2003 to, or excuse me, from 2004 to 2023. I guess 2022, this is a 23 class. Bottom line, he's killing it. They're making it a priority. Also, if you saw what was going on on the Florida Twitter, if you follow anybody from Florida Twitter, uh, they got themselves a nice new facility. You don't think that'll help with recruiting? Bottom line, recruiting is a priority in Gainesville, and Gator Nation's fired up about it for good reason. For LSU, they have the number six class right now. They've got 20 commits, similar to Florida, also has 20 commits. The same tune rings true for LSU. They have made it a point to make LSU a program that wins Louisiana. And my first thought is you should win Louisiana if you're LSU. Like you should be able to get who you want in state. Because in state, there's nobody else, and this is not a knock on La Tech, this is not a knock on Tulane, but there's nobody else that you really need to try and recruit over in your backyard. Now, you got Alabama close, you got Florida close, you have a lot of SEC schools close, but in your state, you should be able to sell, hey, stay home and win titles at LSU. They call it NFLSU, which that in itself should help recruit. And I love the way that Brian Kelly has done this kind of picking who they want from this class. I mean, right now, of the top 15 players in the state of Louisiana, they have roughly a third of those guys and stand in some pretty strong position based on the RPM here at On3 for a number of other guys. But I think we also need to take a look at what this means for Brian Kelly. Because if we're reading between the lines here, he left Notre Dame because he didn't have the firepower and the resources that he needed to be able to get it done. And he like I said, said as much between the lines. And so for him, all those excuses are gone. You can't say, hey, we're not getting the guys that we want to get from an admission standpoint, or it's hard to go out and recruit with uh, South Bend as one of our calling cards. It's just, it's hard to get kids to come to Notre Dame and get them to school. That's not the case at LSU. Everything you need from a football standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint is available to you. They do football 24 seven and nothing else. And that is meant as a compliment, 100%. 100%. So that's to say the pressure is now on Brian Kelly. You got to win. You got to do this now with this recruiting class. But for them to be sitting at number six right now with the 2023 class and to have guys like Ricky Collins, Kylan Jackson, uh, Shelton Sampson, all committed, huge deal. Huge deal for them to be building within Louisiana and getting top talent in state. So they continue to stay white hot. Both these schools think Florida had three commits in the past week. Keep an eye out for some of these kids to potentially take a second look at some of these programs now. But if you're in the state of Louisiana or Florida and they want you, they're going to find a way to get you. Okay, so that's both those programs right now. Drawing a lot of buzz, drawing a lot of excitement for good reason. Brian Kelly and Billy Napier both have both those programs headed in the right direction. I think that's good for the sport. So speaking of Brian Kelly's Notre Dame, they are under new management, as we have talked about before. Marcus Freeman, the new head coach for the Fighting Irish. They just named their new starting quarterback, Tyler Buckner. Jack Cohn is no moss. 
And Tyler Buckner is now going to be your guy going forward. And so we're going to talk about the over-under win total for Notre Dame. As it sits right now, it's at eight and a half wins, which is a really solid number, especially for your first-year head coach. And Irish fans, I think, would be very much upset if they were somehow too much below that mark, which I don't blame you. I mean, we're talking about Notre Dame here, a program that's been to the playoff multiple times and has a story tradition. Like, you should be able to be around this number. So I think the number is respectable. We're going to talk about what is essentially making up this program, both their strengths and our question marks for them. And then ultimately, I'm going to tell you how I think they fare in relation to this eight and a half number at the end of this segment. So to start this whole thing off, the strengths of Notre Dame are pretty true to what they've had in the past. They are just going to be tough on both sides of the ball in terms of the trenches. Four of the five offensive linemen coming back. You got Chris Tyree running the ball. He's a little bit more of an unproven commodity, but I think he should be able to tote the rock pretty well behind those big boys. And then on the defensive side of the ball, like I mentioned, Isaiah Foskey, one of your leaders on that defensive line, he said, hey, I'm coming back. Let's do this again. They're going to be solid on both sides of the ball up front. And that just as your calling card, I I mean, I've said this before, football is won in the trenches. If you win the line of scrimmage, you have a really good chance to win the football game. So for Notre Dame to be strong at the point of attack is going to be crucial moving forward. Because think of everything that stems off of that. If you win at the trenches, offensively, you can run the ball. If you win the trenches defensively, you can put pressure on the quarterback and stop the run. So that's going to be their calling card. That's going to be what they're made of. And then in addition to that, they added Brandon Joseph from the transfer portal, a safety from Northwestern who is an All-American caliber player. Then you got Michael Mayer, All-American tight end. He's going to be the guy that you feed early and often. He is a rowback guy as well. I believe he has a rowback NIL deal. All that's to say, they're going to be really tough, both in the trenches and then some of their key skill players just have that tough brand about them. Michael Mayer, not easy to bring down. He's your tight end. Brandon Joseph, going to lay the wood at safety. So some things to be excited about there. Toughness will be the calling card when it comes to Notre Dame. Now, I say weaknesses. I think even more so it's question marks. My question mark for Notre Dame is falling towards the back end of the secondary, outside of Brandon Joseph, more so at the corner position, and then also at the receiver position. Because... We saw at times during the Brian Kelly regime, Notre Dame was just outmatched athletically on the outside. And you have a very limited potential of wins if you can't win the one-on-one matchups when it comes to that wide receiver corner spot. And so I think that Marcus Freeman being a defensive guy will make that a point of emphasis. I don't think it's going to be something that they just let continue to nag them as they go on throughout his tenure at Notre Dame, but it's got to be something you address. Because it's great to win the trenches, but if you just get quick game to death, if you just get jump balled to death on defense, it's tough to win. It just is. It's tough to go from there when you're just getting 50-50 to death. Ask Alabama. It's not a knock on Alabama, but if you watch that championship game against Georgia, Stetson Bennett was just throwing jump ball after jump ball. Now, I'm not trying to compare Notre Dame to Alabama. What I am trying to say is that you need to have an answer in the secondary with the one-on-ones. In addition to that, going vertically with your quarterback, we don't know a lot about Tyler Buckner yet. I believe he was somewhere around a one-in-one ratio when it came to touchdowns to interceptions and very limited action. 
But still, if you can't stretch the ball vertically, they're just going to stack the box. If you're a one-dimensional football team, they will stack the box against you. And even if you have a great offensive line, it's tough to win games if you're not multidimensional. And so my thesis on Notre Dame comes down to this. Notre Dame is like a boxer. They're just going to throw right hook after right hook and beat you to death. They're going to throw right hooks until they knock you out. Now, where they could run into trouble is where they get into some sort of fight with someone who's great in jujitsu, right? Or an MMA fighter. If you land a couple punches early and can knock them out before this thing gets going, great. You control the tempo. You're converting on third and two. You're having long drives. That's awesome. Knockout for Notre Dame. However, if you're not able to land those punches and you're outside of your skill set, you're out of your game, and they start hurting you in the passing game. They start out-athleting, or excuse me, out-athleting you on the outside, and they get you out of the game where you can't throw right hooks. You're down on the ground now wrestling with this dude. Now you're at a disadvantage. Now you can't play your game. So for Notre Dame, can they add a counter to what they already do well? Can they do something else well besides just throw that right hook? I believe they can, but it's something they have to do in order to get to where I think they ultimately want to be for Notre Dame in 2022. So talking about this eight and a half win total, folks, I would be surprised if they don't push past that. I think nine is a much more realistic win total number for them. The three games that I'm concerned about, I'm not picking them to lose, but the three games that I'm eyeing as areas of concern are at Ohio State, Clemson, and at USC. Question marks surrounding USC and Clemson, not so much Ohio State, but Question marks around both those programs because we don't know what they're going to be at that point in the year. We talked about on this show already. We don't know what Clemson's going to have at quarterback at that point in the year. But all that's to say, if you lose three games and you finish nine and three in your first year under Marcus Freeman, it's a really good start. That is a really good spot to be in year one under a new head coach. That's phenomenal. So I think nine wins is probably what I put them at. But either way, I'm taking the over for eight and a half for Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is going to be a program to watch. I think they take a small step back, but that's to be expected when you have a new quarterback and a new head coach. Marcus Freeman has been recruiting. There's a lot of talk about what Brian Kelly couldn't do there, and Marcus Freeman just said, okay, watch this. I'll make Notre Dame cool again. Bam. So I'm not here to stir up beef between Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman, but I'm just saying the future is bright in South Bend this year. I'm buying over eight and a half wins. So Alabama has sort of been what Alabama's been when it comes to the transfer portal, just kind of taking whoever they want. And more or less, it's going to be a revitalized Alabama in 2022. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing when you give a man like Nick Saban the opportunity to go into Publix and pick out whatever ingredients he wants for his ball club. And so there has been an overhaul of transfers that are going to make an impact in 2022. We got some intel on where they stand right now in fall camp and just sort of a report, if you will, on these different guys. So starting off, Jameer Gibbs, running back transfer from Georgia Tech for a lot of people was the best player in the ACC a year ago. Henry Toe, Toe with a linebacker for Alabama said, I've never guarded a back like him. Essentially just said, hey, Jameer Gibbs is special. Okay, they don't make him like Jameer Gibbs. Uh, he's about 5'11", 200 pounds, really smooth runner, not afraid of contact, great patience, great vision. 
Very complete is the word that comes to mind when you talk about Jameer Gibbs. He's also a threat in the pass game. You can split him out in the slot and have him go one-on-one with a linebacker and feel good about him winning that matchup. So the word that comes to mind in addition to completeness with Jameer Gibbs is versatility. He's going to add a whole new element to this offense, and they are going to spoon-feed him the football. Jameer Gibbs will see the rock early and often, and Alabama's offense will be even better because of it. Yes, I just said the Crimson Tide's offense will be better. And that's with returning Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young playing quarterback. Give him a new toy in Jameer Gibbs. A lot of reason for excitement around him. Sounds like he's, to nobody's surprise, going to be RB1 on opening day for Alabama. Another toy that Bryce Young got via the transfer portal was from another SEC school. Jermaine Burton, wide receiver transfer from Georgia to Alabama, gets to Bama with 82 total career targets. And Clint Lamb from Bama Insider has a phenomenal article breaking down all of these transfers and where they stand and and just has great insight. Would recommend checking out that website, checking out Clint's work. But Jermaine Burton has 82 targets in his career at Georgia. Both Jamison Williams and John Mechie had over 100 last year by themselves. Okay, so when Jermaine Burton was asked, hey, Jermaine, why Alabama? Why did you transfer to Alabama? Why did you want to come here? He very humbly just said, I wanted to make the best decision for me and for my family. And so if we're reading between the lines here, it's not a stretch to say, hey, Jermaine Burton's trying to put some more tape down, put some more production and numbers down to help his NFL draft stock. And that's what you do. That's why you choose Alabama. You choose it for rings and you choose it for development. Newsflash, Jermaine Burton already got himself a ring last year. I think he's going to have a pretty good chance to go ahead and try to get another one this year. But the report on Jermaine Burton is really solid, has adjusted well, is a different sort of athlete than a Jamison Williams It was from a year ago. He's still faster, runs about a 4-4, good catch radius. Uh, they're excited for what he's going to bring to the table. As of right now, is projected to be wide receiver one. Uh, he's a guy that I think Alabama fans are going to be I don't know if surprised is the word, but pleasantly, yeah, we'll we'll say pleasantly surprised by how much production he adds to the table. Because quite frankly, at Georgia, I think he was underutilized. I would venture to say Jermaine Burton feels like he might have been underutilized as well at Georgia. Now, that's not a commentary on the Georgia coaching staff, but just the way that they did things offensively a year ago. There is probably more opportunity for him at Alabama. He recognized as much, and so he transfers and expect him to have a big season this coming year. Also worth noting, Jermaine Burton has never had a 1,000-yard receiving season. Something to keep an eye on. I think he'll be very close to that number, if not surpassing that number, in 2022. Staying in the wide receiver position group, Tyler Harrell, wide receiver transfer from Louisville. He got there in the summer, so he wasn't there for spring ball. He is a speedster, and that's the... I mean, that, that's really what you talk about when you talk about Tyler Harrell. Dude is fast, was clocked at a legit 4-2-4, and had an average reception uh, range of 29 yards per catch. So if you don't know, that's freaky. Like, that is a home run. I think he had 18 catches last year for like six touchdowns. Talk about efficiency, okay? He's a guy that they are, again, excited about, is a home run hitter. Right now, he's running with the twos. And I think some of this is because of two things. One, he just got to Alabama. Okay, so that culture in itself, moving from school to school, was hard to begin with. Didn't get spring ball, so he's still getting acclimated. They also want to see him expand his route tree. 
sometimes for these fast guys, you just can go vertical and that's all you really need to run, but they want to see him expand and be able to run different routes within this offense. I think he's going to be fine. I think he will eventually play his way into a starting role for Alabama, but as of right now, they're content. Just let him develop. Let him get up to speed with everybody in Tuscaloosa. He'll be fine. Like I said, a lot of buzz, a lot of juice around Tyler Harrell, but right now, running with the twos, which if you're running with the twos to Alabama, you're probably starting a lot of other places in the country. I'll leave it at that. Eli Ricks, transfer cornerback from LSU to Tuscaloosa, uh, is coming off of an injury and is still, similar to Tyler Harrell, getting his feet under him. But boy, if Eli Ricks can put it together, he's going to be a problem for everybody else in the SEC. As a true freshman, he was a third-team All-American. I don't know how to stress how impressive that is adequately with my words, so I'll just say that's really impressive, and that doesn't really happen that often. He is 6'2", 190, so he's a rangy corner. He is the kind of corner that this game is continuing to trend to, a guy who can run with you, at the same time use those long arms to bat away passes, be a playmaker. The thing with him right now is he's just trying to figure out the defense. Because those of you that follow Alabama, you know they require a lot of that secondary. Nick Saban coaches that secondary, and he coaches them hard. Like he, That secondary is his baby. He takes pride in their development. And so for Eli Ricks, he's still getting up to speed with everything that's new at Alabama, still getting up to speed with all that's being asked of him as a corner at Alabama. Similar to Tyler Harrell, he's going to be fine. If he doesn't start game one, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, sweetheart, if you know that vine. Don't worry about Eli Ricks not being the guy game one. Because one, he's young. Two, for as talented as he is, it's just a matter of time before he finds his way into some really solid playing time. So Eli Ricks, tons of talent, has got it in spades. He's a guy that is going to contribute in a big way for Alabama. He's also, like I said, a big matchup problem. Remember a year ago in the 2021 title game where, like I said already in this show, Georgia just kind of 50-50 balled them to death. Eli Ricks ain't going to let that happen. I'll just say that. Now to finish out, Tyler Steen, left tackle transfer from Vanderbilt. Sounds like he has that left tackle role locked down for game one, stepping into the vacancy that was left by Evan Neal. He's about 6'5", 315. One of the things they love about him, he's a really aggressive blocker. And that's what I want in my linemen. I want them to just be nasty, have bad intentions, and to be violent. And it sounds like he's fit the bill, hit the ground running, and is going to be the guy for game one, like I already mentioned. So Tyler Steen has a rave review from Alabama and all these guys, I mean, Jameer Gibbs, Jermaine Burton, Tyler Harrell, Eli Ricks, Tyler Steen, they're all going to be ballers for Alabama. Make no mistake, Alabama, for the most part, gets who they want in the transfer portal. And if you choose to come to Alabama via the transfer portal, it's different than other programs. Because at a lot of other programs, the assumption is, okay, I'm transferring to this program, already had had the, the understanding that, I'm likely going to have a good chance to start. At Alabama, I would imagine that conversation goes like, hey, you're a good player. We want you at Alabama. But we got a lot of good players at Alabama. We'll offer you the chance to compete. We may have a need for someone of your caliber. We may have a need at your position group. But we're not going to hand you anything. And I think that's why Nick Saban's programs are ultimately better for it. So that's the update when it comes to the Alabama transfer portal overhaul. 
all those dudes are going to contribute. I mean, don't get it twisted. They will all, in one way, shape, or form, or another, contribute to what Alabama does on the field this coming season. So that's it for us here at The Hard Count. We really appreciate you tuning in. We are available through podcast as well. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple. This should be in your feed, I believe, as of the morning time after it airs. So if we do a Wednesday night episode, it'll be in your feed Thursday morning. We do a Sunday night episode, be in your feed Monday morning for drive time. But we are so close to college football season. We cannot afford to be apart now. We have to band together more than ever because there is so much that is going to happen in such a short amount of time. We're going to cover all of it, and we want you here with us to stay as much to date as possible, to be in the know as much as possible. And so I'm fired up. I know you're fired up. And again, we appreciate you tuning in. We understand there's a lot of other things you could do with your time. And so we're grateful you chose to spend a fair amount of it with us. So with that being said, follow me on Twitter, at JD Piquel. Do a Twitter spaces there every Tuesday, 1 Eastern, 12 Central. A great way for us to have some more interaction. I can't wait. I cannot wait for college football season. It is about that time. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 5332 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.